You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. I hope you are in fine voice and that some of you know how to respond to this. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. The grave is empty. The clothes are folded. That is what we are celebrating this morning. And we're not just talking this morning about something that is like a party trick, like, or something that's mythical, uh, you know, that might have happened, might not have happened. We're talking about something that was witnessed by over 500 witnesses, by some of Jesus's closest friends and his own mother who saw him alive and have testified to it. This is a joy-filled morning, isn't it? Absolutely. A morning where hope arises like the morning dew and refreshes the weariness of our souls like that. But this happy morning is the successor of a dark and sorrow-filled night or two. And we're going to linger here for just a few moments today. And I know some of you might be thinking, why preach on Easter Day a message about sorrow or, or suffering? Well, here's the thing. You don't get to the morning without going through the night. You don't get to spring without enduring the winter. Now, I'm loving walking around, walking my little dog at the minute, seeing the buds on the trees. This is my favorite time of year. I mean, the green that you see on the trees is the best version of green, isn't it? Like, you know, from here on throughout the rest of the year, they they get a bit nicer, a bit greener, and then they start to go a bit skanky again, don't they? And then they drop off in, uh, in the autumn. You don't get to victory without the contest. And so that's where we are. It is through the cross and the resurrection that we may find hope and healing. Before the tears of joy on Easter morning came the horrors witnessed the previous Friday. That those, if you put yourself into the minds of uh, of the, the women who went early to the tomb, if you put yourself into the minds of the disciples, what they saw on Friday is horrifically fresh in their minds. When they opened their eyes on Sunday morning, as if they slept, because maybe they found sleep didn't come easy, but as they opened their eyes, it didn't start joyful. It didn't start that way. They had painful memories that they expected to carry etched into their minds for the rest of their lives. So let's spend a few minutes talking about the night, about the winter, about the pain, because isn't this where we live? Like, realistically, I don't want to do a big downer on you this morning. You'll still get your chocolate later on, okay? But this is where we live, isn't it? I mean, you just have to turn on the news this morning. And and how long does it take you before your heart just sinks a bit? We, we live in the currency of suffering, it seems. Uh, many of us are, are reeling from the memories, the, the, the sore scars. Do you feel some sore scars this morning? And the thing is, we have a bit of a problem with suffering, don't we? 
We, we don't like it, generally. Most people don't like it. We'd rather not talk about it or even have to focus on it, so please forgive me for going here this morning. But, but we also know that it's an, an inevitable constant in our lives, almost always to some capacity or another, okay? Like if you've woken up in the middle of the night and your, your, your leg hurts or something like that, there's, there's an indication, isn't it, that pain exists, that suffering exists. If you get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you feel really like, you know, as I'm increasingly doing now, you, you know that suffering is a reality. It might not be on the same scale that we see if we look to Eastern Europe, but we recognize in our own bodies and in our own lives and in our own moments that suffering is a present reality to some capacity or another. And we find it hard, don't we, to reconcile that with a God who we hope is good and kind. Well, he is good and kind. And in the end, we're going to see that there is hope this Sunday morning. There is hope today, not just because it's Easter Sunday, but because his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So today... I'm believing this, hear this, today, today, Sunday the 17th of April 2022, God wants to move resurrection power in your life. Right here in this room this very morning. And it will be different for each of you how that plays out, what the Holy Spirit does, because it's his power, he's the one that burst the grave open so that Jesus may have life in his body again and come up from the grave. And that same power is at work in this room today. Today. Can you receive that? Can you, even if it seems implausible, just for a moment, consider this. You can leave this church this morning different to how you came in because God has done something in your life. Do you want that? Let me ask you a question. Has spring ever failed? Even in the fictional Narnia, it was only there for as long as the curse was held on the land, but the minute the king came, the snow started to melt. The, the snowdrops came out. The, the buds started to blossom on the trees. Spring has never failed. Uh, uh, let me ask you another question. Has daybreak ever failed? I mean, honestly, for the first year that I lived in Scotland, I thought it failed 365 days. <laughs> so like, what? Why is it so dark outside? But daybreak has never failed. And Psalm 30 verse 5 says, sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Are, are you in a place where at least you'd be willing to receive joy that is on offer this morning. This wonderful morning, I want to talk you briefly through the sorrows of the night in order to get to and to be able to appreciate all the more the full, glorious joy of the morning. If he has risen, then that means something for you right here and right now. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years, whether you've never made a commitment to follow Christ, or, or whether you've just been doing that for the last couple of weeks, it means something for you, and it means this, resurrection power in your life and hope in your pain.
There's purpose here. So I encourage you this morning not to put on that Christian face. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Kind of thing. But actually to hold the things that frustrate you, the things that are hurting you, the things that are cutting you deeply, the things that won't let your memory go, the things that you feel guilty about, that you're dragging about like a chain, I encourage you to bring all those into your mind right now and hold them up to Jesus. Because this morning I believe that he is going to do something. And in the final song, we're going to offer prayer. During the song, uh, we're going to have teams going, and we want to see the power of God at work in this place. And that's for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. It's for all of you. This wonderful, wonderful morning. Let's come. Not with an expectation of tradition. Not with how long is this going to take my lambs in the oven. But, but with this. God can do something in my life this morning because he raised Jesus in power. And we're still in Philippians. And this is the very final, uh, I was about to say episode, the final message in Philippians 1. And so we're going to go here, just the last two verses, 29 and 30. And Paul says this, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And, and I just want to show you the previous verse as well, because we like to put things in context, don't we? This is what Paul previously said. Do you remember last week I talked about contending together as one? And Paul said, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. Those who don't know Jesus, those who've rejected Jesus will be destroyed. But that you, who are believers who have received Jesus, will be saved, and that by God. So that is where we find ourselves in this text today. But wait a minute, because there's a word that I don't like here. If I was writing this verse, if I was to paraphrase this, I'd be very tempted to take out that word granted. It's been granted for you, to you, to suffer. Wow, let that drop for a second. It's like, what? I mean, your mortgage request has been granted. Great. You know, your, your, your holiday request has been granted. Thanks, boss. That's amazing. Your, your marriage proposal has been granted. Nobody does that, okay? Nobody like, you're granted. Jess, would you marry me? Your proposal has been granted. Thank you very much, Jessica. You know, but we don't mind things being granted when they seem positive. But what we're talking about here isn't accidental or incidental, but there is an air in what Paul's talking about of intentionality of purpose. What? A good God? Like, purposefully granting suffering to me? Thanks. That doesn't sound great. Well, the word granted, this is really interesting. It's the word uh, charizomai. I might have pronounced that slightly wrong, but it comes from the word charis. Now, if you've been here when we started this series, you'll know that 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 is what we use for the word grace. But it actually means like gifting, a grace. So we could use that here to say that suffering has been gifted, has been graced to you. I don't like that gift. <laughs> Take it back. Like, if that was, if I unwrapped that, if, my, if Jess gave me a Christmas present and I unwrapped it and on the box it said suffering, I'd be like, take it back. I don't want that. 
put it back in the shop. I hope you got a receipt for that. I mean, what kind of gift are we talking about? Well, to understand the nature of the gift, first let's consider the nature of suffering. And I want to just give you a whirlwind reminder, because suffering was not created into the world. When God created the heavens and the earth, and then he populated it with animals and then with humans, he said it's good. It's good. Like, it's perfect. That the harmony between the animals and between humans and, uh, and between God and man, it was exactly as God designed and intended, but it got broken at the fall. When man rebelled, was misled by the serpent and rebelled against God, and then sin and suffering, disease and death entered the world. Consequences of the rebellion and rejection of God. Uh, and let me just say that's a, almost like a foretaste of what's going to happen if we finally reject and rebel against God. The suffering we see in this world is nothing compared because God is in this world. He, he, he is restraining the evil and through the church, he is outworking his plans and purposes in our communities. Good exists in the world because God exists. Take God out of the picture. There is nothing left that is good. And that, friends, is what we biblically call hell. And it's not a place you have to go. It's not a place you have to go. It's a place you can fully avoid by pleading Jesus to come into your life and wash your sin. Every sickness, every malady, every disease, every bit of decay, every bit of brokenness, every bit of cruelty, every bit of violence, every bit of deceit, of greed, of lust, of selfishness, isolation and loss, it all stems back. They're like the, the evil kids of that initial falling away and rebelling against God. It's all rooted from there. It all stems from here. But remember, God did not create that suffering. And while he uses it, and as we see here, he grants it to us. He's not the manufacturer of it, not the instigator of it, though he allows and uses it. But don't forget, it was through the snake and through man's rebellion. We, we simply can't pin the blame elsewhere. There's not a person in this room that can say, oh, it's just the way I'm made. We, we are responsible for our actions. We can't say the devil made me do it. And one day we will give account. One of the consequences of free will, which God has graciously given us, the, the right to choose him, to, to love him or reject him, but the consequence of that is that we must give account for our thoughts, words, and deeds. And me, I, I know something, something of the weight of my sin. I say something because as we sing, I will never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how heavy a weight that was on Christ. But I know something of the weight of my sin. I know something of the suffering and the pain that I have caused other people or myself. Multiply that by a trillion human beings over thousands of years that's what the weight of sin looks like. 
the pain of Good Friday, and this is the good news, the pain of Good Friday is because God positioned himself in the midst of our sickness and sin and all the resulting suffering that comes from that to deal with it once for all through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, God doesn't simply observe our suffering from a distance, but joins us in it, right into the very center, uh, to the very extreme ends of it, despised, rejected, reviled, mocked, scorned, beaten beyond recognition, crucified, which is still to this day held to be probably one of the most painful and cruel ways that you could possibly die. And he suffered this for you and I, friends. So if God did not create sin and the consequential suffering, and if he actually came to join us in it and deal with it, then what is the nature of this gift that I am talking about that is being granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him? Well, notice firstly, a couple of quick points. It's not just suffering that is granted to you. It's also granted that you believe because he says not only that you believe in him. That's a gift. It's being graced to you that you can believe in him. And then secondly, notice that Paul is being a bit more specific than merely suffering in general. He's talking about, you know, if we remember last week, talking about the the suffering, the battle, the fight, the contest, the struggle, the as one, the together, the battered and bruised rugby team at the end of the match being victorious and and celebrating despite the cuts and bruises. That's kind of the contest that Paul's talking about here. That's the kind of suffering that he's talking about. He says, it's that you saw I had and still have. This suffering is because of the gospel. This suffering is because he is a Christ follower. This is suffering because he is choosing to stand upon the truth of the word on account of Christ. But, but here's the thing. Look, to some degree or another, everyone suffers, right? And to some degree or another, bear with me on this, everyone has faith. But think about it. The object of that faith might be different. Everyone has faith. Everyone suffers through their life. Has ever a person lived that could get to the end of their life? I'm sure they would say, I've had a wonderful life, but I don't think there's many that would say, I have not suffered a single moment in my life. Everyone suffers. Everyone has faith. Even if that suffering is a consequence of our rebellion rather than a consequence of us following Jesus, and even if that faith is in another object other than in God Almighty. So to understand the true nature of this grace that Paul is talking about, we need to understand it's not suffering itself that God is gifting to you, like a kid with a magnifying glass on the ants. That's not what God is doing. It is the fact that it is purposing that suffering for his glory in you. That's what's been graced to you. It's not faith that is the gift, but that that faith be on behalf of or in Christ. That's the gift. That we can put our faith in football teams. We can put our faith in Muhammad. We can put our faith in the Dalai Lama. We can put our faith in our car. We can put our faith in our our spouse. But the glory of this passage is that that it has been granted to you 
through Christ that your faith can be placed into an unshakably faithful and sound person of Jesus Christ. I mean, faith we can understand. It's a nice gift, isn't it? Thank you, God, for helping me to to avert my faith to you and place it in a secure place, right? We We can be thankful for that, but thankful for suffering. Thank you, God, for giving me this suffering. I mean, you'd have to be a crazy kind of spiritual person to get stung by a wasp and be like, thank you, Lord. I really enjoyed that. You know? Suffering's the thing we spend most of our days trying to avoid. All the safety measures that we put in place, seatbelts, smoke alarms, all the boundaries, all the distractions, the addictions that we have, the countless millions that we spend on an average year in avoidance or remedy for suffering. Here's the joy, that the grace is that God repurposes our suffering. So for the believer, there is focus in faith and there is purpose in pain. You might not be there yet with me. You might still be like, yeah, but it's still a cruddy gift. I don't like it. Okay, that's okay. But God hasn't cruelly gifted suffering to you. It's a gift that he's going to use for your good. Many of you will know Romans 8, 28, for we know that in all things, God works for the good. And listen, of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Or or in Genesis 50, 19 and 20, this horrendous life that Joseph seemed to have, and then he says to his brothers that abandoned him, left him for dead, sold him into slavery, and he says, what you intended for harm, God has used for good. You see, Joseph at the end of his life was way better off than he could have ever imagined. Uh, And even that was in this life, but let me tell you, friends, There will come a day where you will stand before Jesus and you will realize that what you have is totally worth it. 100%. But how can suffering be good? I'm going to give you a few ways. Are you ready for this? How can suffering be good? I'm not a masochist, by the way. You know, I I do silly things. I, I find it funny. I love paintball. You know, I love getting hit. But it's not because I love pain. It's because I'm arrogant and I want everyone to see that I can take it. That's why I love paintballing. It's it's not because I'm like, yes, I just love this. Hit me in the head. It'd be amazing. This is what pain does. Firstly, it identifies us with Christ. That's, That's a big first. It identifies us with Christ in his suffering. It refocuses our hearts. It is literally like a compass that flicks us back. How many times... Have you found when you've been going through a season of suffering, it's really focused your prayer life? Uh, And maybe, hopefully for some of you, that's also really focused the sense of God in the room. How many could say they've really felt that close presence of God in their darkest night? Uh, And yet when I'm loving it and everything's going my way and, hey, this is amazing, I'm going off on my summer holidays, it's hard to keep that focus in place. It refocuses our hearts. It cleanses us. It it literally sanctifies us because we're sinful people. We're messed up. We tell lies. We we, we hurt each other. We're out for our own uh, ambitions quite a lot of the time. 
the things we've done, the things we've said, the ways we've acted, the times we've got angry when we shouldn't. And if you think that's not you, get on the M8 and let somebody cut in front of you and we'll find out how angry you get. Suffering draws us near to God like a lighthouse. It, it makes us resilient so that we may endure. It's like the spiritual version of a treadmill. Like, I don't like suffering. I don't like treadmills either. But I understand that the purpose of the treadmill is it's working. It's pointless if I turn that thing off and jump off it. I don't like that. That's why I've got a gut. Because I don't do that. But, but suffering actually makes us more resilient so that we can endure. It teaches us. It corrects us. It leads us to humility. It instructs us. It, it's like this. I know that smacking's like not allowed in Scotland anymore. Like, I, I'm a guy that was beaten as a child. I'm not talking about a, a disciplined, measured smack. I'm talking about being physically kicked around. That's bad. But correction, sometimes a smacking correction actually is helpful. Think about this. Would you rather your kid's hand went in the fire? Or would you rather give them something that they're going to just remember so that they don't put that in the fire? Because actually, and I'm the same as an adult, somebody's saying to me, don't do that, that will go really badly for you. I'm like, well, I'll try it for myself, thank you very much. Like, even as an adult, how much more does a child do that? They need something that just goes, whoa, I don't want to do that, that's going to be bad. And, and suffering in our lives has that effect on us because it helps us to avoid the greater danger of rejecting God. Uh, suffering makes us more empathetic and compassionate. Uh, and affliction awakens prayer in our lives. Jonah slept in the ship but prayed in the whale. Think about that. Faith and suffering are redeemed in Christ through the cross. It's more precious than gold. The disciples rejoiced in suffering, nutters. Like they, they considered it gain. James said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, nutter. Like, the disciples were, were beaten, and they said, uh, when they, this is Acts uh, 5, verses 40 and 41, it says, when they called the, uh, the apostles, this is the, uh, the, the council of the leaders, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. So they beat them up, and then they let them go, saying, don't speak the name of Jesus. This is what the disciples did. They left their, the presence of the council rejoicing, that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Nutters! They're like, they've just been beaten. They're like, yes, that's amazing. They counted it joy. Thomas Watson, a 17th century Puritan preacher, said, afflictions add to the saints' glory. The more the diamond is cut, the more it sparkles. When the grape is pressed, the sweetness is released. I wonder if you were pressed right now, would what comes out be sweetness? Or would it be bitterness? Because you do have a choice on how you deal with your suffering. You don't get a choice as to whether it will happen because it's going to happen. 
You get a choice with what you're going to do with it. You offer it to God. Have you still got all those things in your mind that I asked you to have at the beginning of this service? Are you still holding them up saying, God, can you deal with these? If you give them to God, they turn to gold. But if you hold on to them and you get bitter and angry and twisted, how dare you let me suffer, God? You will start to become more and more bitter yourself. Do you want to be sweet? Or do you want to be bitter? Give it to Jesus or hold it to yourself. Thomas Watson goes on to say this, to be assured that all things which fall out shall cooperate for their good, that their crosses, talking about you, will be turned into blessings, that showers of affliction water the withering root of their grace and make it flourish more. This may fill their hearts with joy until they run over. Jesus, for the joy, the joy set before him, endured the cross and scorned its shame. Let me just ask you another couple of questions. Because we don't like the idea of suffering. We don't like the idea that it could just come out of nowhere, right? But you're going to suffer... You know that. You know that's a reality. You know that's true. Would you rather that it had purpose or would you rather that it was meaningless? And then let me ask you this, because I know we try to avoid suffering, but would you be prepared to suffer for your friends and family? Husbands, would you suffer for your wives? Wives, we know you suffer for your husbands. Okay. Would you be prepared to suffer for your children? Really? Parents, is that true? You would suffer for your children. So you sometimes would choose suffering, right? Jesus chose suffering. Would you choose suffering in order to achieve your goals and your dreams? I'm asking myself this question. Will I choose to suffer the gym, which isn't just about physical exertion, it's also about embarrassment as I stand there in my gym clothes. Would you be willing to suffer in order to outwork your dreams? Isn't going to university, I mean, some people really love that and just dig in. Other people, that's a chore, it's a labor. But, but you can see the thing at the end of it, and that's why you put yourself into it. You know, if you're joining the army, you suffer through, through the whole process of selection, and you choose to do it because you know it's bettering you, because you know it's achieving something, it has purpose. Would you be prepared to suffer if it was ultimately for a good purpose in your life or in someone else's life? And the question at the end of our lives won't be, did I achieve happiness by avoiding suffering? Suffering is certain. So the real question that I want to ask at the end of my life is, was it worth it? Did... did it achieves something glorious in me. That is what this suffering that has been granted to you is doing. It feels like coal, but it's turning into a diamond. Don't waste your suffering. I, I know a number of pastors in America who, who actually say the phrase, and it's well known amongst a lot of them, they say, don't waste your cancer. Because they've 
One of the pastors I listened to had brain cancer. Another, currently Tim Keller, is, is dying of cancer. John Piper being through cancer. So many, even in this town. And yet God meets us in the midst of our suffering and does something. Don't waste your suffering. Don't even waste your mistakes because God doesn't. I'm going to start bringing this in right here, right now. And as I start landing this, I, I, I just ask that you allow your heart to start ascending. But, but this, is, this is a day to find that God can move you forward, can heal you. He's, maybe he's not going to do the whole shebang, you know, like, whoa, everything's gone like brilliant now. But, but today is going to be a day where you step forward where you move forward, where, where those chains are loosed all the more, where, where those consciences you have, those guilts that you carry are just relieved off of you, where the, the suffering that surrounds you is, is just elevated and you find, uh, not elevated, sorry, the opposite, is depressed, and so that you can find Jesus in the middle of that. That is what I believe he's going to do. Paul says this later on, and we'll come to this in a few chapters' time. He says, for his sake... I have uh, suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes by the law, but that which comes through faith. This is part of the gift that's granted to us in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends upon faith. And he goes on to say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's stand together. I'm believing that God is going to work in our hearts. The same power exerted that raised Christ from the dead, that same resurrection power is in here right this moment. Don't waste this moment. He's inviting you to come and be healed, to bring this back into Easter. How quickly did Mary's tears turn from grief to joy when she saw the face of Jesus? How quickly did the disciples' confusion and anxiety and grief lift once he came and stood among them? If you are prepared to come and meet with Jesus this morning and be face to face with him through somebody else praying for you, how quickly your grief can turn to joy, how quickly your sorrow can turn to dancing, how quickly your pain can turn to healing and rejoicing. Has daybreak ever failed? Has spring ever failed? My last quote, Thomas Watson said, my times are in your hands, God. If it was in my own hands, I would deliver myself too soon. If it were in the enemy's hands, 
I would be delivered too late. But in your hands, I will be delivered on time. He knows how to stir the sweetest spring. 30 seconds in the healing presence of the Lord can be the undoing of and the healing of a lifetime of pain and anguish. And that is what this morning means. He's met us in our suffering to lift us out of it and raise us to new life. Heavenly Father, we invite you.